Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Hi friends, I am so glad that you are with us this morning. And today we are wrapping up our series, Wisdom for the Way, where each week since the beginning of January, we have been looking at how we can live our best life in 2021, how this can be a year where we thrive and where things go well for us as individuals. And if you've missed anything thus far, you can just go to our website, Discover FBC, or download one of our podcasts on any um, platform that you might use. And, and if you have been with us the whole time uh, during this series, what you've recognized so far is that each week what I have talked about is how you can live your best life, how as an individual you can thrive and live well in 2021. How do you use your money? How do you use your words? How do you forgive? How do you take a deep introspective look? And, and everything thus far has been about you. But today, friends, for our final uh, lesson together, what, what we need to do is we need to make a shift. We need to make a shift this morning and understand that if we want to live well in 2021 and beyond, that we can't just focus on the individual but if we want this to be our best year, there is a sense in which we have to think deeply and regularly about us, about the collective we. How do we live well? Over the past couple of years, one of my favorite writers has become a guy, uh, guy named Jonathan Sachs. And, and Jonathan Sachs, who I mentioned to you before, was the longtime chief rabbi in uh, Great Britain. And he's written a number of books, and his most recent book is called Morality, uh, Finding Common Good in Divided Times. And it's this incredible book, and the overarching theme in this book, Morality, uh, is Jonathan Sachs saying that in Western culture, the United Kingdom, uh, Western Europe, and, and the United States, that we over the past few decades have made this fundamental shift where we spend most of our time thinking about I, individualism. And the problem with that is that in the pursuit of I, we have forgotten about the collective we. And if we want to live well, Jonathan Sachs says, we have to begin to move that focus closer back to the center, away from the I and more towards the we. And there's one section in particular, one sentence in the middle of the book that just grabbed me and it would not let me go, where, where Jonathan Sachs, talking about how we can live our best life, has this to say, that to strengthen the future you, you need to strengthen the future us. That if you want to strengthen the future you, then you need to strengthen the future us. Because we are created to live in community 
with each other. And in the book, he goes on this fascinating dialogue about uh, how we are social beings. We are created to be in relationship with each other. And, And that is absolutely true. But for us, in our culture, in the day and age in which we live, most of us don't think that way. Most of us think about the individual, the self-made man we uphold above all others, the the, the rugged individualism of Herbert Hoover, (laughs) and the pursuit of wealth and fame and individualism. It's all about that person that we look to who is great and good among us. And that's the way that we process reality. There there was a show a few years ago on the History Channel, The Men Who Built America, and it was all about Vanderbilt and Rockefeller, about Carnegie uh, and, and others, Henry Ford, these guys who, with their determination and their grit and their cutthroat attitudes, built this country into what it is today. And it's all about the individual. That's what we think about. Last year, I hope everybody has watched this miniseries by now, but The Last Dance, the 10-part series about the final run of the Chicago Bulls in 1998, I loved that show because in 1998, I was 15 years old. And I was still convinced at that time that a 5'11", 165-pound kid could play in the NBA. And I loved basketball. And so in retrospect, I watched this show, The Last Dance, and it's this fascinating portrayal of the journey of the Bulls, but in particular, Michael Jordan, to this final title. And as you go throughout the show, highlighting Jordan again and again and again, what you realize is that it all revolved around him. And there was one one episode in particular where they're talking about one of the finals games and Bill Cartwright, tall center, takes the last shot and it didn't go in. And Jordan is just railing on Bill Cartwright, saying Cartwright does not need to take that last shot, that that's not how the game is supposed to work, that it's not about the team, but it's about him. And, And he talks about how people used to give him a lot of flack because he was so focused on his own individual game. And Jordan says this in the show. He says, guys, you know, people used to always say to me, there's no I in team, but there is an I in win. There's no I in team, but there's an I in win. And I think that sums up most of our attitudes, doesn't it? The greatest of all time, saying that it's all about I and it's all about win. Interesting side note, though, I, I was listening to Robin Roberts, the reporter, the other day. Somebody asked her, they said, who do you think is the greatest athlete of all time? The GOAT. Is it Michael Jordan? Is it Tom Brady? And Robin Roberts says, I love Jordan and I love Tom Brady, but Serena Williams won 23 Grand Slam titles, one of them while she was pregnant. I'd love to see Tom Brady do that. She drops the mic and walks off. (laughs) It's all about the individual, isn't it? It's all about this one person thriving and succeeding, and that is the cultural air that we breathe. And at a certain level, friends, that is healthy. I think we all want to believe that I can accomplish great things, that you can accomplish great things. So so it's healthy for us to think that way, up to a degree. But what the Proverbs are telling us is that if we want to live well, 
If this is going to be our best year, then not only do we think about I, but more importantly, we begin to think about we. Because we is how we move forward collectively as a community, together. I love what Proverbs 17, 17 says, that a friend loves at all times, and kinfolk are born to share adversity. A friend loves at all times, and kinfolk are born to share adversity. That we, together, are called to share our joys and our sorrows. That we are asked to share in the celebratory moments of life, but also in the moments of grief and loss and pain. And a friend is there for all times of love, and kinfolk are born for times of adversity. We are better together, created to be in relationship with one another. I know what some of you were thinking, as I said, yeah, a friend is there in times of love and kinfolk are there for adversity. So maybe it's just family. I love the way that the Proverbs, they actually use the word kinfolk. And I am glad to know that someone outside of deep Appalachian mountain people use the word kinfolk. Yes, family. That family is there for times of adversity. So so what does it mean to be together, to be a we? Is it everyone or is it just family? And the good news for us is that Jesus actually talks about it. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus does this incredible thing because Jesus has been out going all throughout the Galilee, going down into Jerusalem at moments, and he's been causing a bit of a stir. He's been beginning to say some provocative things about his death and his resurrection He's been going and healing the sick and curing the blind and having dinner with all the sinners, and he's beginning to make a lot of people uncomfortable. He's making the religious leaders uncomfortable, which is something he always does. But in this section in Matthew chapter 12, what we read about is Jesus is making his family uncomfortable. And so after a long day of doing that thing that Jesus does, bringing hope and joy and restoration to all people, he's relaxing, having some dinner with his friends, when all of a sudden, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 49, while Jesus is still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, the little bit that I had been taught as a kid was that Jesus was meaning that metaphorically. But the fact of the matter is there's nothing about metaphor in this. What Jesus is doing is radically reconstructing a definition of what family is. He isn't saying that his mother and his brothers aren't his family. That's not what he's saying at all. But what Jesus is doing is giving us a radically expanded definition of who belongs in our life. Our life together, the one we are called to live with richness and fullness and goodness and beauty, 
It isn't just about flesh and blood and family members, but it is about all people who do the will of God and walk in the way of Jesus. It's not about you, but it's about us. This radical group of people who seek to live life together in a different way than anyone in the world around us. And we share our highs and our lows and our sorrows and our triumphs. And we live as a community. And if we want to live well in 2021 and beyond, then we have to understand this basic reality. There's a reason that Paul, the great apostle in the church, does this thing in almost all of his letters. Time and time again, he refers to other church members as his brothers and his sisters. My brothers and my sisters, he says. Grace and peace be with you. What he means is that this is his family. These are the people that he shares his life with and not just a cliche, put on a mask and smile because everything is happy, but they share the grit and the grime and the goodness and the sorrow and they live well together. It's what it means to be family. It's what it means to live well. And it isn't just that the Proverbs teaches us that reality it isn't just that Jesus talks about it a lot, even though He does, but what we believe at the very center of our faith is that that is who God is. God is community. If, if you'll just indulge me for a moment, I want to talk a little bit about theology. So for Christians, we have this unique idea about God because God is one. God is God. But in Christian thought, which is unique among all the religions, this is the one thing that really separates us from Judaism and Islam and other religions of the world, is that for Christians, we believe that God is one, but God is also three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That these three in one equal with each other in stature and standing. That God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this trinity, Live in community with each other. And I want to say to you that too many people try and draw out diagrams and solve the Trinity, but one of my favorite writers says that the Trinity is not a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be embraced. And Christians with our Trinitarian theology believe that at the heart of God's own life is this community of self-giving love. We are community because God is community. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan priest out in New Mexico. He has so many incredible books that I encourage you to check out. But in one of his books called The Divine Dance, asking about how we are called to live well in the world, in the divine dance, which is all about the concept of the Trinity. Richard Rohr, talking about community, has this to say about the Trinity. That if we believe in a Trinitarian God, then we must hold fast to the truth that God is community, a completely loving, mutually self-giving, 
endlessly generative relationship between equal partners. A Trinitarian image of God should change our politics, our gender relationships, all our power differentials and friendship itself. That at the heart of God is this mutually beneficial, loving, self-giving relationship and it lives in fullness and glory and beauty. And as God lives, so we live too. And if we want to live our best life, friends, you cannot do it alone. That you were created to be in community with each other. And if you want to strengthen the you, then you have to strengthen the we. It was in February of 2020, one of the last times that we got together before we split up due to COVID. And it was a Wednesday night, and it was, a, as you all know, a buzz of activity. hundred kids running around in our children's choir, and the banquet hall just filled with people eating Chef Stevens dinners. And like always, I walk around the room, and I get to say hello to everyone. And there's energy in the air, and there's love and kindness in the air. I went and I taught my class, and then when the night was over, I'm making my way to my car, went up beside me, walks a new, a new kid, eight years old, Stephen. Stephen had been brought by some friends that night. And I knew Stephen. I had met him earlier in the chicken finger line. And Stephen, as we're walking to our cars, looks up at the church building, and it's beautiful outside. And Stephen looks to me and he says, Dr. Dyer, this is the most beautiful church that I have ever seen. And I looked to Stephen and I said, you're right. You're right, buddy. And the buildings are pretty great too. Because we understand that what it means to be community has nothing to do with buildings. And it has nothing to do with property, but it has everything to do with what Proverbs 17 says, that we are there in times of love and we are there in times of grief and we share our life together. That's what makes us great. That's what makes us who we are. Stephen said, Will, this is the most beautiful church I have ever seen. And it has nothing to do with our buildings. It has nothing to do with the eye of our cultural obsession. And it has everything to do with the we of the gospel. Because friends, we agree that the most important thing we do is share our lives with a common passion to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news that He has defeated death and new life is possible here and now on this place. And when we set our minds to something, as Jesus taught us, not even the gates of hell can stand against us. This is one of the most beautiful churches I've ever seen. And the buildings are pretty nice too. 
you want to live your best life, if you want 2021 to be a place of thriving and goodness, then you have to move past the I and move into a better space of we. In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, we read the story of creation and how God created everything there is, the sun and the stars, the moon, the dry land and the sea, the fish that swim in it and everything that goes on dry land, the fruit, the vegetables, all the animals. And then on the seventh day, God created man and God looks at everything that God has created and God says it is good and it is right. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, there's this incredible moment that far too often we just skip over and we don't pay enough attention to because God has created everything. God's created Adam, but, but He realizes very quickly that something isn't right. And God says to God's self in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, that it is not right, it is not good that man should be alone. The very first thing in the Bible that God said isn't good. We are not meant to be alone, friends. Listen, you need to understand that. If you don't hear me say anything else in the whole of this sermon, if you want to live well in 2021, then you need to understand that the first thing God says is not good is for us to be alone. We are created to be in relationship with each other, sharing the highs and the lows and the joys and the sorrows and everything in between. And earlier in this service, we made a promise to two families, to the Dennis family and to the Griffin family. And we said to them that you are not going to be alone you will not have to raise these children by yourself, but we are going to partner with you and love you and love these children and raise them up right in the way of Jesus, in the way of kindness and grace and generosity. You, friends, made a commitment that they're not alone. And if the world needs to hear that message, friends, it is now more than ever. Not a day goes by where I don't get a call from someone because of COVID-19 and they have been isolated and they find themselves alone, physically alone, mentally alone, spiritually alone. And what they need more than anything else in this moment is someone to simply be there, to reach out in care and in concern. Not with an answer to a question, but simply with a shoulder to cry on. A voice that says, I'm here for you. People need to know now more than ever that they are not alone. We are created for community, to be in relationship with each other. And some of you are watching this morning, and I want you to know one thing. You are not alone. If you need someone, call us. 
email us, come knock on our doors, and we will be here for you because that, my friends, is what the people of God do. For some of you, you're watching today, and you don't know how you're going to take the next step forward, and I want you to know you are not alone, that there is someone who loves you, and it is Jesus. There is someone who loves you, and it is us. You are not alone. And as we seek to live our best life, as we move forward into 2021 with an understanding because of the book of Proverbs of how we can live well, I want us to remember one thing, that as we seek to strengthen the future you, that you need to strengthen the future we. That, my friends, that is good news. Let's take a moment now and let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to come and just share together this time. Somebody needs to hear this morning that they aren't alone. Somebody who has just gotten divorced. Someone who, whose brother or sister has just died. God, they need to know they're not alone. God, someone is watching today and, and by all accounts, their life is perfect and good, but deep inside of their soul, God, they are depressed and in anguish and they don't know what to do. And God, speak truth into their life today and let them know they are not alone, that you are here for them and we are too. And God, for us as a church, help us to understand that if we seek to live well in this world, if we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God here in Augusta, Georgia, then it isn't about the me, and it's all about the we. Help us to glorify you, O oh God. Help us to share this news that no one is alone because of your grace, because of your kindness, because of your church. God, this is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.